Thank you for tuning in to another edition of the Business of Fun podcast. I am your host, Dave Wakeman. Today's episode is brought to you by my friends at Booking Protect, the global leaders in refund protection. Any listing, any sector, anywhere, Booking Protect has you covered with the world's most comprehensive refund protection product. To find out how you and your organization can partner with Booking Protect to deliver world-class customer service, a more customized and better buying experience, and you and your organization can create a substantial new stream of revenue, visit them at their website, www.bookingprotect.com. Once again, that's www.bookingprotect.com. Are you going to be coming to Sydney, Australia on the 14th and 15th of November to the Ticketing Professionals Conference in Sydney, Australia? I hope you are. I'm going to be there along with my friend Simon Mab, the CEO of Booking Protect, where I'll be giving the opening keynote on change. I'll talk about change, risk, innovation, all kinds of fun stuff. And Simon's going to be delivering a talk on customer service and sitting on a panel about fraud prevention. So get your tickets to the Ticketing Professionals Conference in Sydney, Australia today by visiting their website at www.ticketingprofessionals.com.au. I'll give you that one more time. It's www.ticketingprofessionals.com.au. I hope to see you there. And if you want to find out what Simon and I are up to on the 13th of November, send me an email, dave at davewakeman.com, put Sydney in the subject line, and I'll make sure that we keep you in the loop on what we're doing on the 13th. Also, while I'm in Australia, on the 18th of November in Melbourne, the home of sport, I'm going to be delivering a one-day workshop called Fans for Life, Creating and Keeping the Modern Fan. It is going to be the culmination of about 18 to 24 months of research on what makes fans tick. I'm going to cover all kinds of great ideas and things that I have not covered really anywhere else before, like the fan funnel, uh, lifetime fan value, um, using merchandise as a driver to build a long-term relationship, uh, controllable assets, rethinking revenue, uh, strategy built on value, a fan-first mindset, a customer bill of rights, and a whole lot more. This is going to be great. You can get access to this workshop by sending me an email at my name, dave at davewakeman.com, or you can go to Eventbrite, or I'm going to put a link to it in the show notes. So if you go to Eventbrite, search Fans for Life. It'll come up there. All right? I hope to see you there. This thing's going to be fantastic. Finally, my team has started to put together a new weekly newsletter called Talking Tickets. It is for people who I'm assuming are just like you who work in the business of marketing and selling live experiences, concerts, theater, events, sports, and more. You can get this newsletter. It's five stories. comes out Friday mornings in the U.S. Five stories you should have been paying to from around the world this week with a little analysis of why they matter and how you should be thinking about them. You can get that by sending me an email at daviddavewakeman.com or by going to my website, davewakeman.com, and clicking on the link that says Get Talking Tickets Newsletter. All right? I hope you get it. It's great. My guest today is Amy Maiden. Amy is one of my new favorite Australian friends. Actually, everybody I've met in Australia has been great. Um, Amy is awesome. 
Um, this is one of those conversations that um, is like the one I had with Ali Scheuer a few weeks back, where it's kind of a love letter to marketing. Uh, Amy is doing a talk in uh, Sydney. She's doing two that week, but the one that she's doing at the Ticketing Professionals Conference is about banner ads and how you are more likely to die in a plane crash than you are to ever click on a banner ad. And so I had to have her on the podcast to talk about this. Uh, we talked about all kinds of great stuff. We talked about her love of Seth Godin. We talked about marketing. We talked about a social revolution around marketing. Uh, we talked about advertising. We talked about reach. We talked about metrics and why some of them don't work. We talked about what a reach and frequency really means, segmentation, behavioral economics, tension, tribes, uh, museums, theaters, cultures, audience building, development. My goodness, we talked about a lot. This was great. I think this is going to be one of the better episodes that we that I've done, uh, only because Amy is so great and so fascinating. Um, I can't wait to see her talk when I get to Sydney, uh, and I hope that this is like a really great preview of what she's talking about and kind of it also really covers both of our marketing philosophy, which I think is probably... Um, hopefully interesting for everybody. So without anything else from me, here's my conversation with Amy Maiden on the Business Fun Podcast. I want to welcome my very best new friend, Amy Maiden, to the Business Fun Podcast. Amy, what's happening? Hi, Dave. How are you? I'm great, thank you. I'm very excited to talk to you, oh. as ever. I am always excited to talk to you uh, because it's going to be fun. Uh, we had a nice conversation. Um, this is like almost a weekly occurrence now, so this is great. It is. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it's it's going it's funny because I, I you know um, we're both going to be speaking at Angel and Joe's conference coming up in just a couple weeks, uh, but you're going to talk about something that I had to admit I was like this sounds fascinating, which is that you are <laughs> more likely to die in an airplane crash than click on a banner ad. Am I? <laughs> so tell tell me about that. <laughs> like some clickbait headline to get people to come to a session at a conference. If you get you um, get good at this over time, right? You know how to drop like cut right to the chase. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Look, it's kind of that. That stat is is a is a is an interesting one. I mean, is it a stat? I basically this whole thing came out of I read this study by another advertising consulting company called Solve Media, and they put out this study that was like all the things that you are like are more statistically prone to do rather than click a banner ad. And I actually have it here because I wanted to refresh before I spoke to you, so I'm gonna I'll quote it. So these guys say that you are 31.25 times more likely to win the Mega Millions than to click a banner ad. You are 87 more times likely to apply to Harvard and get in, uh, 112 more times likely to sign up and complete Navy SEAL training, and 279 times more likely to climb Mount Everest, and 475 times more likely to survive a plane crash than you are to click a banner ad. Now, there is no sourcing or data behind this study, but I th it got me thinking and it kind of led me down this sort of wormhole of thought and study and reflection that really has changed the way I market as a marketer and changes the way I talk to my clients and the way I you know really empower my team and myself at the agency yeah I thought it was great like even you know I'm um 
I won't say that I always use the data, even though I know most of the data because I read the studies and I do I do a fair amount of research. I would say I'd like to say I'm not a dummy, uh, but that's I'm gonna leave that to everybody else to decide. But this one really caught my eye because then I think you said it to me the other day when we were chatting. You know, when was the last time that you clicked a banner ad or I clicked a banner ad? Because I know you are completely off the grid as much as possible, like ninety nine point nine percent off the grid. <laughs> But I do, we talk a lot about here and my team, we, we're in this world now. There has been, like, there has been the days, in, in days of yore, let's call it, you know, we've been through this time of massive, where massive economic and social revolutions, they didn't used to come around very often. You know, you weren't really likely to live through one. Um, but we've had four major Massive revolutions like that in the past 100 years. You know, the first one was obviously the revolution in manufacturing. You know, we can make lots of things. We can make lots of things better. And then it was the revolution of the computer. And what I mean by that was the computer as a calculator, the computer as a machine that can get people to the moon, computer as machine. Then the big one, a computer as network, where that computer can talk to that computer and tell us more things. And now I in inherently believe that we are in a revolution of marketing and that marketing now is, is, is the act of changing culture. It has changed diametrically in the past 20 years, you know, and so what are we doing to move the compass forward? You know, is it about how many Twitter followers you have or does that matter? You know, we're not just selling soap to housewives anymore. I don't think we are. Marketing is everywhere. Marketing is who we vote for, it's who we date, uh, it's in every corner of the world and everyone is a marketer. You know, the days of Mad Men or in Australia it was Mojo, there was an amazing agency who did um, like the big famous advertising in Australia in the 70s and 80s, phenomenal but absolutely over time and it's and it's moved and so marketing I think is, is like more pervasive than religion was a thousand years ago. It's been democratized. And so I think it's up to us, like you were saying before we started recording, that you're a marketer, I'm a marketer. It's up to us to now decide what we want to do with it. And, and as you say, we're in a world where people are avoiding it and we're in a generational shift. We're seeing this shift in economic power from the baby boomers into the millennials and Gen X. And that avoidance of advertising is not just a physical one. It's an, it's an emotional avoidance of advertising as well that that old the old school marketing the madman it was great but it was all about interrupting people you got in their way to give them the message and now we have to absolutely flip that because it annoys people they don't want to be interrupted so that's why i don't listen to commercial radio and i don't watch commercial television but they still get to me still get ads on podcasts i still get ads at the cinema i still get the outdoor i still reached by advertisers they've got to work harder to get me i think you're trying to butter me up with that answer i, I believe completely <laughs> and it's um you know i i 100 believe you that marketing is as much as anything now it's an act of creating change and yeah. i still believe that um you know like mark ritson who is in melbourne thank you he says that Marketing is about making a shitload of money, and I still believe that, right? But I believe as much as anything, it's about the act of creating change. And you, I think if you're not making change, you're not marketing. 
Well, right. That's exactly right. Because really, it's there's a Dan- no, yeah, there's a Daniel Pink book, which I'm sure a lot of people have read called um, To Sell as Human. And that's basically what selling is, is like creating people change. And it's like, uh, so that uh, and so everybody's in sales because you everything you want is a negotiation. It is an a, an act of getting somebody to change the way that they're engaging with the world to either reject what you want them to do or accept what you want them to do. But either way, they've made a choice and it's a sale. Yeah, and I think that when we talk about, you know, what specifically you talk about on this podcast, which is the business of fun, what we're doing is that we are we're, we're researching with people. We're putting something into the world and we're saying to people that this experience is going to change you for the better. Mm-hmm. That you buying a ticket to this thing, whether it is a football match, a horse race, a Beyonce concert, or a three-hour German opera, whatever it is, this you are going to be better off having had this experience, that you yourself will be changed. And so we are selling the act of change as well. Well, that's what the problem a lot of times comes back to for me, right? Especially in the States is because somehow over time, it feels to me, and I, and it, I don't have data for this, right? And I just said I don't really – I read a lot, but I don't always have the data. And this was one I don't have the data for. But my impression from looking at things and being a student of these things is that over the course of the last 10 or 20 years, that in America, a lot of us have lo- that are marketers and advertisers have lost the narrative. Of- yeah, so it feels to me like we've lost – the narrative. We don't know how to tell a story. We don't understand that there is an emotional connection that we create with an audience to get them to do things. So in the States, this will play out as sports is a really great example of this, where it's they talk about the dog days of summer, or they talk about like these midweek baseball games, or they talk about all these like baseball being a grind or basketball being like kind of in the doldrums in February around the all-star break. But my point on these things is that these are all once in a lifetime experiences, once in a lifetime opportunities, because you're never going to be in the same place with the same group of people seeing the same performers ever again. Yeah. And to not yeah. sell it like that, you're doing yourself a disservice. You're doing your organization a disservice. You're doing the performers a disservice and you're doing the audience a disservice. It's every okay. chance, every time is a chance to have a magical moment and that's what you should be selling. I think absolutely. The challenge is, though, is that when everybody is saying this is a once in a lifetime moment, then people get paralysis of choice. And so I think what we have now is that we have this, we have all this data, we have all this fantastic data. And I don't think really any of us are using it to its full capacity. It's too new. We're all still kind of working it out. What I talk about a lot, the emotional connection, you know, I, like good, I think that good brands are transactional, but great brands are emotional. And that's the way that we differentiate between the two. And that is what's going to get you to cut through in a super crowded market. And I think also when you take that emotion, what we talk about is how you focus that, that emotional connection on the right people and when and, and how you have that conversation. We talk a lot in my team here at AKA about tribes in terms of audience tribes. And yes, there's, you know, data profiles and personics groupings and all of that. But really essentially what it comes down to is the concept of, and this is kind of a Seth Godin concept and I'm a fan of his, is that people like us do things like this, Mm -hmm. right? We all identify with the people like us who do things like this. People who run marathons, 
I'm, I don't run a marathon. There are people who <laughs> run marathons. Very few of them think they're actually going to win, but they do it to show up and be a part of a community because people like us do things like this. Last night, I went along to a concert of the Flaming Lips. I've never seen them live. I'm not even that much of a fan. But I went because I'd seen it in um, uh, footage on Instagram at the Opera House, and it looked amazing. And my friends went, and I was like, well, I'm going to go in Melbourne because people like us do things like this. And so when you combine the mentality of people like us do things like this with your data of who you're talking to and when, that's when we start to crack open this challenge of how to reach people when they don't want to be found. And it's really that equation of, of the tribal mentality plus data equals the network effect. And that's when you start to reach out. It means, though, that you have to spend more time and more investment in the conversations that you're having. So the way we talk about it is that we start with really our, our smallest qualified audience. The days of going out and buying every single billboard and every roadblock television ad and every front page newspaper ad, in my mind, they are done. Mm -hmm. My head of media will kill me for saying that, but I really think that those days are done. It's nice. It looks beautiful. We all feel really good about ourselves, but that's really about the marketer's ego and not about the audience. Right. And so I think we start with now is our most qualified audience. Where are the people who already love you, who are already, and who is that smallest possible group? What is the maths on? How small is that group for you to sustain? And start with them and build your evangelists there. Because the more evangelists you have, the less media dollars you need to buy. And so you start with them. They're the early converters. But at the same time, we then have the conversations with the people who are kind of in the middle, who might be on the fence. The people who are asking, we are asking to say, you're on the outside, come be on the inside. And that's a longer conversation. So you've got to start them at the same time. Harley Davidson does that really well. The Harley Davidson marketing is really good. It's a motorcycle. Like, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I don't own a Harley Davidson, but the way they communicate, they make outsiders feel like insiders, like you're in the tribe. Yeah. And so it's that that kind of conversation has to be had in a much more sophisticated way. So you got. We are now spending so much more time and money on what is that conversation? What does it look like? How do we enhance it? Who is it with? And how detailed are those segments? Because as we all know. You know, I think 2016 was a year where the world woke up and went, oh, my God, we are really living in silos. What is happening? And that is true. So we've got to work out we're not going to break those silos. If you try to be something everybody wants, you're going to compromise your brand. So if you start with the, with the, with the, the evangelists and, the, and, the, and your fans, then you're going to start with a qualified audience that you don't have to compromise for. And then you grow and grow and grow. It's like I love the um I love the metaphor of the fax machine. So the first person who bought a fax machine couldn't use it, yeah. right? They had to tell their friend to buy a fax machine so they could fax them something. A fax machine is worthless if a whole group of people don't have that. That's exactly right. And that's what is happening in our culture now, right? Well, the fax machine is that like everyone, everything, every every product that's coming into market that is having an effect is networked. It's something that people talk about, that they share, that they cheer about, that is remarkable. I always talk about you've got to be worthy of remark or don't bother getting out of bed. Like, be remarkable. Well, that, that's a, that, I mean, that's a great point because the thing – so you, you brought up a couple great points that I think I don't want people to miss, which is the smallest qualified audience, which I know if you're a Seth Godin fan, he would use the term the smallest viable audience. So either way you look yeah. at it, it's – absolutely correct right because 
the thing is, is, and this is a good point because I had a conversation this week and somebody was like, what, what do you mean you have a number one podcast in the world for people? For, and I was like, well, well, because I picked, I was fortunate enough to pick a audience that was really, really small and very, very specific and make something specifically <laughs> for them. Therefore, exactly. I'm not competing against anybody. <laughs> exactly. So, so then my competition is like two or three people who maybe have done something once, right? So I was like, <laughs> like but that's not my fault. That's everybody else's fault. It's but, totally fine for you to be not for someone. Like That's exactly right. I have clients all the time, so I say, okay, so who's your show for? And they go, it's for everybody. It's from 8 to 80. And I'm like, it's not. Yeah. It's not. You will waste so much money trying to do that. It's okay for people not to like your product as long as you've got enough people who love it. I would, say, I would, I would go farther and say that like, it, it's better if people take a strong dislike to you. You want to have <laughs> yeah. people either love you or hate you. You don't want them in the middle is really what it is because if you've created too many people who just don't care, um, you know, that like know about you, then you probably have done something wrong. <laughs> I no, like to create a strong a client who got like, really polarizing reviews. People either loved it or they either hated it. And I pitched this campaign. It never got up and I was so sad that it basically was calling it um, the Vegemite or the Marmite. Do you know what I'm meaning? Oh, yeah. I, like I the love Veg- them both. So I'm a fan of both. Don't, don't, don't. <laughs> and it was like, this is, this is it. And we were going to run ads that had all the really positive reviews and all the really negative reviews. And it was like, come and see it and decide for yourself. God, I wish that campaign ran. But that would have been <laughs> great because, I, you know, I, I do feel that one of the challenges that the society and culture is dealing with right now is that we, you know, like you said, we live in the silo. And one of the things about the silo is that if you say anything at all that doesn't conform to what everybody always does or everybody always says, is that you know there's something wrong with you. And I was like, one, well, where's the number one? Where's the fun in that? And number two, yeah. then is like, if you're doing what everybody else is doing, how are you going to stand out and be different? Because why is somebody going to pay notice you if you're running a Facebook ad or a banner ad or anything that looks basically like everybody else's they're not to think otherwise is you're being ridiculous yeah yeah it's interesting i i I do a lot of thinking and talking about status as well and where status comes into this and because there's status is a really powerful marketing tool but you can't always assume that everybody wants to go up in status so some people, yeah, absolutely, want to climb the ladder, go up in status. Some people just want to stay where they are because they hate change. And other people actually want to be lower in status because that's where they feel safe. And so in the conversations we have with our audience, one of the overarching narratives is is where you are is fine, where you are is nice, where you are is good. But if you come over here with us, well, this is great. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, like, because the investment of buying a ticket Sometimes, like, you know, it's not small. If you want to go see a Broadway show or a, a show here in Australia or a big, like the Australian Open, it's hundreds of dollars that you're investing. Mm-hmm. And if you've already got your evangelists, great. You're talking to your next market that you've been telling stories to and trying, you know, getting them ready to convert. When you ask them to make that, that, that transaction is a big decision that they're making because if it's something new for them, what if it's terrible? What if they hate it? You're asking them to take a really massive leap of faith. So one, make sure your product's really good and deliver on that. But if you've done the data and the metrics and the tribe thinking mentality right, 
then you're going to deliver on the promise. Like that's kind of, that's the risk that they're asking is what if I'm wasting my time, especially, and my money? And that's kind of, we talk a lot about that. I have this great um, creative head of creative here at the agency that we have. And he and I always talk about that the, the most powerful marketing tool is the narrative the audience tells themselves about your product. So, you know, we have these meetings where we terrify our producers because we look at it down the barrel and we go, these are all the wrong things. It's too, it's 10 years old. I don't want to see it. It's for kids. I hate musicals. This isn't for me. Whatever it is, it's too high end. When we, we do a whole session on what are the false narratives that our audiences will assume and then how do we use our content and our storytelling and our dopamine moments to correct that narrative? People are always going to jump to the wrong conclusion. Well, the other thing too that I think I often find myself bringing up or talking to people or kind of reinforcing is the one too that you have to you have to recognize that like you, Amy, me, Dave, we aren't our market, right? Like as soon as we are participating and trying to market and sell something, it stops being for us, right? Because we we are you know we know too much about it. We are too heavily involved. We are too close to it. So the thing yeah. is, is like whatever it is we're doing, we have to divorce what we think from the right decision for the client and the customer because we're going to make bad decisions. And it doesn't matter. I feel like, you know, I feel like you're a great marketer, and I'm like better than average most days. Um, <laughs> um, and you know, but I think the only reason that I may be as good as I am is because I'm able to divorce myself from the idea. Of, well, I know exactly what's going to work because the truth is, is and I, I'm curious what you think about this, is I don't know a thing most of the time. It's like, yeah. I mean, I'm always figuring it out. I don't, there's no one royal road that's going to make me be able to sell or reach anyone. You know, every time it's a process of discovery. What do you think? I, I would agree with that. And I think that, you know, I, 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 I love my clients. And I feel for them because it's a lot of money on the table. When we talk about these campaigns, when we talk about how we're doing, you know, sometimes it's not a lot of money, but it's always relative to their own budgets. It always feels like a big investment. And so when we're in this era, which is a mark, a revolution of marketing to make the decision to change and to risk is terrifying. It's absolutely terrifying, but it is up to people like you and me. Like we have, data now we have i always talk about psychographics over demographics like i i am way more interested in the behavioral economics of what's going on because that is going to tell us what are those false narratives we're going to find out what those surprises are we spend so much more time but you know when i started out my career to now on so much more time on research which is brilliant because i reckon you know 15 years ago or whatever it was it was a lot of gut feel. It was a lot of what's worked before. Mm-hmm. And everyone, and we do this in Australia here, people are going to get annoyed me for saying this, but we do do the same thing over and over again, quite a lot, because that's what worked last time. That's what that show did. This is who the audience is. But at the same time, there's a conversation happening of, but our audience is dying. It's the same people. It's, uh, forgive me, pale, male and stale, like very middle class, upper class white folk. It's only for me. And so we've got this, Australia's one of the most multicultural countries in the world. We're one of the most successful um, 
examples of multiculturalism. We're not perfect by any means, but we're doing pretty well. But I don't see that breadth of multiculturalism in our audiences at all, and it's because we're not shifting how we're talking to people. We're still talking to the same market, and that market's showing up. It's still making people money. It's fine. It's like I was saying before. That's fine. That's good. But if we can change, it'll be great. And so it's this... It's a, it's a point of tension. And when you're a marketer, you'll know this, you've got to be okay with tension because that's what we're sitting in all the time. There's a, a tension of asking an audience member to buy, take a risk and buy a ticket, the tension of asking a, a, a producer or, or your client to try something new, um, the, te- the tension of delivering on the promise you've made in your marketing as well, which can't always be in your control. But it's, I think that now is the time to do it. Now we've, I think it's never been in this revolution. It's never been the safer time to take a risk because now I think we're starting to understand and use the data in a much better way. I, I get very frustrated. I, I tear my hair out when, when people talk to me solely about reach and frequency. Can't, Dave, I can't hear it anymore. I don't want to talk about it anymore. You know, the more tech we have, the more metrics we have for success, the tail begins. The tail wags the dog. It's just like <laughs> reaching frequency. I get it. You want a safety net for your media buy. It's expensive and it's a lot of money. But I want to talk about reaching empathy. That's the conversation we need to be having. If you're not being empathetic with them when you're reaching them, you're wasting. All you're doing is interrupting them and wasting your money. So it's oh my god, my clients are going to listen to this and be like, Amy. <laughs> They're gonna they're gonna listen to it and they're gonna be like it was that crazy American that did this. I know I let I let her off the leash. We had her under control. Now it's now it's crazy. Now you brought up. Can I can I well I know can I qualify one thing? Go ahead, please. Advertising is very important, and advertising is vital. We need it, but the shift in it has changed, and that's what the conversation is. I think. Well, I, th- I would agree with that. I-, I would not tell people to stop marketing or stop advertising, number one, because no, no, w- no. why would they need me? <laughs> no, but no, number two, but though, is the big thing is you have to be uh, smarter about it. You have to be wiser. You have to make better decisions, right? Um, yeah, and, and here it is in the chronological stage of the investment as well. Mm-hmm. So what you, it's coming later. That, that conversion transactional message needs to come later yeah. now. Otherwise, you won't know it. Yeah, you have to do a little bit better. You have to think of your campaign um, less as like a series of moments and more as a narrative. At least that's the way I kind of think of it. It's, it's all like a kind of constantly building and kind of, kind of constantly touching things. You know, well, it's, it's like you're you, cause you, it's like pushing buttons, and you, you're just trying to figure out the combination that works. <laughs> yeah, well, it's about shifting your strategy in a way that is commensurate with the shift in consumer behavior. It's about being market-led, not just marketing-led. Yes, that's exactly right. But you have to put your customer first, right? And that's the thing because the customer will lead you in the direction that they want to go, right? Oh, now we can stalk them and it's terrifying (laughs) and very morally questionable for me. But we can you it's all there. All you have to do is open Twitter and you can hear what they are saying about right. you, about your competitors, or more importantly, if they're not talking about you. Because that's an even bigger That's thing. the worst problem. Is that you know, like everybody like right as we're talking, the Joker movie is coming out. And yeah. I heard um, Bill Simmons, which I know you don't know the sports ball, right? That, 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 <laughs> 
Uh, they, it's like a, it's a sports yeah. podcast. I'm just messing with you. Sport um, thing. Yeah. <laughs> he's an American sports like guy, you know, but he was talking about the Joker movie with Chuck Klosterman, who's a, a writer and he, I think he's famous all over the place, but they were talking about like, well, it doesn't matter because the Joker, everybody's talking about it bad or good, right? It, nobody even seen the movie yeah. yet. And I was like, that's great. Nobody, everybody has an opinion and that's going to be good for the movie. Now, hopefully if the movie, the movie's awful, then it'll, it'll bury the thing. But if the thing is good, it will like make a fortune. And that's the thing. You don't want people to ignore you. You have to create some sort of um, emotion one way or the other, or people are, or, or you're, yeah. you're, you're white noise or you're worse. You're just like, exactly. you, you just turn like, away. Uh, yeah, exactly. You've got to be having a conversation of, of some kind, you know, it's not about just acquiring customers. It's about building, those, building your own tribes and having those conversations with them. Yeah. Yeah. Now you brought up three things here that I, that I would be, um, Oh, you, you, no, no, no. You were, uh, I just kept, I think I, I was joking earlier about not taking any notes and I take tons of notes during these things. <laughs> Whenever I get around to like compiling, making a, um, an anthology of like the notes from my podcast, it'll be a, a great thing because I have like three or four pages for every guest. Um, oh. yeah, well, you know, I'm, I'm diligent, you know, I, I joke about this thing and I keep the production value low, but I'm, I'm fairly serious about this um the the first thing that i wanted to talk about was um and because this one's pretty fast uh was behavioral economics right and this is something that people all the time i think they think i'm um i'm blowing smoke because i talk about all the time you know behavioral economics and you know the study of neuropsychology will tell you that people say they love discounts and they hate them it and it will tell you that there's a lot of stuff like it'll explain things like crazy things like it'll it explains Donald Trump right where people are, seem to be repulsed by him but yet they'll still vote for him right it explains so much and you and it explains why people walk and buy and shop in certain patterns and it's very powerful and it's people should be paying attention to it because it will help you small changes in the way you approach your market can have big big value. And return yeah. return big dollars, and so that's like something that I nice to hear somebody else say because it, that's that's always coming from me. <laughs> Believer in like it's the it is the two parts. It's the behavior and it's the economics as well. Mm-hmm. And so you know, we talk about Australia is inherently a touring market here. Shows don't sit down for four or five years like they do in a, in in like New York or, or mm-hmm. London. That we tour and and often I'll have a client say, okay, well, we need to get people from the regional markets, from out of town, from country Australia to come in. And uh, and the conversation I was having with them is absolutely let's talk to those people. But you've got to understand the thing you're asking them to do is not the same thing as asking the person in the metro area to do because they've got to travel, because the economy is different in regional Australia, because the challenges they are facing are different. We have to have, again, they're a different tribe. So we've got to have a different conversation with the people in the different areas because they're behaving and their environment is different to the ones who are living in the metro areas. And it's kind of, nothing is not, nothing is binary anymore. It's so much more nuance and color and detail in what we're doing, which is beautiful. But it just it's it's a different way of spending investing your time in your marketing strategies. Well, well, that leads into the second thing I wanted to ask you about, right? Well, I guess the second and third thing kind of blend together, right? Because what you're talking about is segmentation and the power of segmentation. And I think what when people talk about reach and frequency and then they, they're afraid of changing what they're doing as marketers and they're focused on this big investment that they're making, 
the first thing about the big investment and the fear that is involved in making a marketing decision, I feel it's often driven because as it's easy for everybody to call themselves a marketer. There, but there are very few who of them that are good, um, at least in my experience. Um, I happen to know quite a lot of them. I'm fortunate. Um, I also know a lot of bad ones. And the, the ones who are good are typically humble and know and tell me that they are not, um, they're not sure if they know anything. The ones who are like really bad have definitely have the golden playbook. <laughs> and, but I think that this golden playbook where people are like, I believe I used it with you the last time we talked. I said, I said, I don't want to come off like a numpty. Did I say that with you? Uh, or maybe it was, maybe I was talking to another a friend of mine, Sheila. Uh, I said, I don't want to come off like a numpty. Um, and, but I think that like a lot of marketers come off like numpties where they're talking about clicks and, and likes and um, reach and frequency and all these things that like they can measure, but they don't maybe have a meaning. And I think, so I guess I don't even know how I'm going to ask a question because I, I think I've gone on a rant here. Uh, but I think one of the big challenges that we're facing as all of us as marketers and strategists is to help people understand that there is a risk involved in making a marketing decision. Yeah. And it can be expensive. And it can be it – it might not work, but that's life. What we're trying to do though is be, by being smart marketers is to help you – not eliminate risks, can't do that, is to help you mitigate risks to the greatest extent possible. And this is one of the really valuable things that like all the tools that we have available to us allow us to do now, because we can say we can test things like much more effectively and much more quickly, right? We can, should be able to target more effectively, right? And we should be able to you know, segment our audience in a way that we can get some feed, some really great feedback to know whether or not we should expand the segment or give up on the thing entirely. Um, yeah. Again, I don't know if there's a question there, but I mean, you know, I'm kind of curious about your, your take on, how, you know, why some of these challenges and some of these um, issues come up as far as like helping people understand the risk and the reward aspect of marketing. Look, the thing about, the thing about the kind of marketing that you and I do, which is for live events and tickets is that every single day you get a report card and that report card is your sales report. So every single day we see what has done, gone into market and how it's worked and if it's working. We're getting live feedback on that through the sales. Like that's kind of – that's what my – when I open up my inbox and I have all these sales reports. It's a bottom line business. It's my report card. Did I do well? Did that decision work? And it's interesting. I think that um, – that's what we all live and die by is that. And in live entertainment, you only have so many seats you can sell a night and then they're gone. It's different to cinema. It's different to other things. You can't just make more seats in a theater or an arena or a sports venue for people to come. I'm going to create oh. that venue. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I mean, some of the venues, they can come, you can come down in size, but it's kind of once you've missed that seat, if you've got an unsold seat that night, you can never sell it again. So, I think we live in a very real-time thing. It's I'm am seeing a shift because the market here is in Australia, especially. I don't know what, what it's like in the states. is much more cluttered at the moment because mm -hmm. shows that traditionally were very long runs are going to shorter runs. We have much more product. Our audience are spoiled for choice. It's far more competitive and it's harder to sell a ticket. I am seeing our clients anyway. They will if you can. There's if we put enough safety net around it in terms of some of the more traditional choices that they might make, they'll take a punt on something new. And when one of those something news 
pays off, they'll take a punt on another one. And so it, they, you're building trust in these new formats and we're all learning together. So just yesterday we had a, I had a meeting with my whole team and we do a fortnightly thing where we all celebrate everyone's successes and we all cheer and applaud each other. And, and my media team came up and they showed us four examples of four brand new things that clients have done in the past couple of months that have never been done before in terms of the way they've tailored a, a television buy in, in that, that smallest market kind of manner or the way that we're working with um, a Spotify and how we're engaging audiences. And instead of driving people to buy tickets, we're actually driving them to listen to the soundtrack of a show, which feels like sacrilege to some of us. You know, the, the way that we're doing it is changing. And so I think it's – you. You can't change too much at once. It is something I have seen in the past in programming, in marketing with arts and cultural venues that they go, we need to diversify our audiences. We need to reach a younger market. So they flip the table and do a whole brand new program and it's too much too soon for their audience. Well, I was going to say, they, the, the point you brought up about, you know, you add a little thing to the mix, right? Yeah. And, like, and then it works or it doesn't work, right? And then you maybe add another little, t- little taste, yeah. right? And then over time, you, you, you change things. But I, to me, that's sort of how it should be, right? Because the thing is, is like you don't want – if you change everything radically all at once, and you can see me, but everybody else can't. But So it's like this, like you're up, 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 and then all of a sudden you fall off a cliff until you build up again. And it's very unstable for the organization, whereas like if you're kind of constantly, right. gradually like reinventing yourself, you know, in the course of – three or four years, you maybe have created an entirely new audience profile for yourself, but it didn't come at once and you never had a huge drop off or a huge dip. And that's creating security for you because you're kind of, you can always find one thing or two things over the course of a year that will help you bring in and attract new audiences, introduce new people, get them on the lifetime path with you, right? Get them on that journey with you. But if you, you know, if it's a boom or bust thing, and that's too much of what I see a lot in the States is everything's like a a little too much boom or bust, right? It's like, oh, if it's hot, then it's great because, but that was like, the thing is you can't control hot, right? Hot is not something that's within your ability to control. What you can control is I have value. I know my customer. I know how to reach them. Once I reach yeah. them, I know how to sell to them, right? I can do those four things over and over and over again. And if I want to know, a, start reaching and talking to a new audience, well, what's the, what's the value that they would um, want from this? Who are they? Yeah. How do I reach them? And I talk yeah. to these people, right? It's, 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 it's a simple formula, but it's very hard because it's easy to get distracted. It's interesting. There's this weird tension, again, we're talking about tension, between we're in an environment where things are moving Faster and faster and faster. I can order a brand new outfit right now and it will be here by lunchtime. You know, like things are at our fingertips, but we still have to keep our eyes on the fact that we're playing a long game. And that comes back to the behavioral economics aspect of things in that humans are still humans and that change still needs to take time. Now, if you're producing a 12-week show that's in and out, that's a very different conversation. Mm -hmm. For my clients who are arts and cultural institutions who are long-running festivals, the conversation that I'm, you know, because the programming is much about the marketing as the marketing is, what you're putting into your venues is is as, as just as important as what I'm trying to do to sell it. But the conversation I have with them constantly is that your your venue, your, your organisation, your festival, whatever it is, it's like a house, right? 
And, and these people, you get an artistic director or a new visionary come in once every few years and they renovate the house and it's good for the neighborhood and it pushes up the property prices. It's really good. What they can't do is pick up the house and move it to another neighborhood because your audience will literally get lost and they can't find you. And so you need to remember the loyalty of that audience, your evangelists, those people we've talked about, you've got to respect that and take them on that little journey with you. Right. Otherwise, they just go, ugh, too hard, too hard, I'm out, I'm out. Yeah, too, too much change, I can't, I can't handle this, right? And this is... Um, That's this a reminder to myself as much, because I'm always like, yeah, let's do something new, and I'm like, oh, hang on. Burn it down, <laughs> why don't we? Um, <laughs> this is like one of those, this is one of those funny things, and I don't know if I've mentioned it on the podcast at all, or if I've even mentioned it to many people. I know I have, because I ask people to take, uh, to work with me on this. But over the summer, I went through the process of doing a, um, a 360 for my business. And one of the things of feedback came back was like going, we love you because you're super high energy and you have a lot of ideas. At the same time, like sometimes you can't keep up with the ideas. And that's the same thing. I want to burn it down, but I have to remind myself that I can't get you from where I am to Z in one day, right? I can't get you there all at once. And this is like a, this is an important thing because, and I want to bring it up because I'm guilty of it the same way you are. Is like part of the, the, the journey of leading an audience to a new place is you have to show them what the first step is, right? Because, and this is the same thing with like the, with the people we're working with or the people we're trying to work with and reach is that everybody knows that they have to change. The thing is, is that change is scary for a lot of people. And a little bit, it's not that people don't understand that they have no choice but to change, is that they don't necessarily know what change means or what it's going to look like. And our job as, you know, really facilitators of change, because I feel like, I don't know how you feel about this, but the way I feel is I'm not the agent of change. That's the person who brings me into the organization. That, they're, the, they're the agent of change. But what I can do is I can be a guide, right? I can help them make change happen. Um, but they still have to do the hard work themselves. And I think that like understanding like, Hey, I know how to get for like all over and tear it down, blow it up because I mean, that's what I do all day long because that's sort of my, that's sort of the job. But the okay. thing is, is like for the, for the organizations, that's not their job. Their job is to create stability and structure and resilience and um, long-term security. And I think so like when you brought up that point, it's, uh, um, you know, it's very important. And I figured I would use myself as an example because I'm guilty of the same thing to express that. The other thing that I did like was though is like you're talking about playing the long game. And that's like a super, super important thing. And this is something I don't know that people understand look at enough. And I'm, I hope, hopefully you have some data on this. Um, because if not, I can point people towards some data on it if they're interested, but the idea of playing the long game, right. And there's a book called Soccernomics about soccer <laughs> and it talks, but it talks about fans and soccer and about how they don't, there's not a straight line for people. Yeah. And it's important because I think a lot of times we get kind of um, lulled into this belief that, Everybody, you know, their life cycle as a fan or a customer is a straight line, but it's not. It's more of on a, you know, a rolling hill, right? There'll be peaks and valleys. And the way you fail your customers and your organization is by thinking that, like, just because somebody is in a dip or a down, like a trough for a little bit, that, like, you've, like, 
they must be disinterested or like not a fan any longer. And it could be any number of things going on, right? Like sports is a great example because like if you're my son's nine now, he's sports up here, right? Um, and I remember when I was nine, I was probably the same way, but then what, in, up through the 20s and then like about 25 or so, you know, when career starts taking over, you go down a little bit, right? And then maybe yeah. now because he's nine, I'm a little bit up. But like, you know, it's it's like that. And then maybe like when he gets a little older and it's not, I'm not having to ferry him all over the place, I'll go back to up again. And, you know, and it's, I think we have to think always in terms of lifetime fan value or lifetime customer value, um, you know, because it helps us make better decisions. I don't know how where you fall down on that. Um, I, w- I would agree that... The long game is hard and it's kind of something that I I say to my staff all the time is it's it's okay that it's hard because what we do is hard. You know, it's, it's things are allowed to be hard and it's, and it's a challenge to focus on the long game, especially when, again, you're a commercial producer who's coming in for a a three year run or those kind of things. The people who I see who are really making waves, especially here, are the ones who are playing the long game who even if you don't own a venue, they are building a brand as a producer. They are treating their data very seriously. They are treating, you know, repeat customers very seriously and teaching people that the show that they are presenting is the show that is really high quality and of trust, those kind of things, building the things that, hey, I could bring you a, a new musical, but um, you'll trust it because it's me bringing it. Um, sorry, someone just brought a dog into my office and it's really cute. <laughs> <laughs> totally acceptable. Totally acceptable. <laughs> I'm trying to play the long game and someone's brought a dog in. Um, it's, yeah, the long game is really, really hard. And it can be hard when you have a show that a month in a month has got empty seats and it's not shifting and what are you going to do? So I try and surround myself by people who have skills that I don't. So when I build a team, you know, I work in a team. I'm not a solo person. I got 25 staff sitting on the other side of that window, this glass office that I'm in. And it's, um, I build people around me who I know can balance that out, who can be like, no, no, I mean, this is way too much change at once. Rain it in. We know you're excited. Or, you know, I think it's, you need, this is why I talk about diversity being so important because you need different kinds of brains around the table to make it all come together. And I think that's really important. And when I say diversity, I don't just mean diversity of race or I mean diversity of age, diversity of economic background, diversity of life experience, diversity of religion. All those brains around the table can help you play the long game, I think, because really that's when it's it's going to work. I would 100% agree, and this is not something I I really highlight very often because I don't do as good of a job of this as I want to. But I try to make sure that I, like even here, I bring on as diverse of an audience or uh, people, a guest as I possibly can because I recognize that because I did some political work here in the States. Um, and I try not to get poli- ever mention any political stuff here, um, but yeah. okay, I worked on helping getting Barack Obama reelected. Um, <laughs> but the the problem there, yeah, it was was that there was everybody looked like me, um, and the, I, I don't have the background that you would expect from looking at me. Like looking at me, you'd be like, oh my god, you must have been whatever. But that was a problem because everybody looks at the world the same way, and I think that to make the best marketing decisions you need young and old middle-aged you know straight 
you know, gay, lesbian, you know, every everybody you can get because everybody's going to have a different opinion and a different idea on what is going to be effective and somewhere in the and middle. If we're talking about the long game, then you've got to have the diversification of audience to reach that mm-hmm. because otherwise you're just saying the same thing to the same people over and over again and you learn, like your audience will just get older and then they will die. <laughs> so. <laughs> Like you got to bring in the young, like you know, yeah, young. You have to bring them in early. like it's kind of if if you want that long life cycle, if you want to be able to have that longevity, then yeah, you need to have all the different. We've gone off a different tangent now, but you got to have all the different heads around the table. It's what we do. Now, Amy, <laughs> where do people find you on the internet? Besides it, oh, I forgot. We actually have one more thing because you're going to be doing not just one thing in Sydney. You're going to be doing two things that week of the 14th and 15th of November, and you're going to be at the uh, Communicating the Arts Conference. Is that right? Is that how I'm saying it? Yeah, I'm I'm back-to-back conferences in November. Um, I Yes. you got to make sure your trip to Sydney is, like, worthwhile. That's exactly right. Which day, which one is on? I'm sorry to any of the organisers of the conferences who are listening to this. But... (laughs) Uh, yes, yeah, so I'm talking about exactly what we've talked about today, but a bit more, uh, at the Ticketing Professionals Conference, and then I'm doing a workshop on how to keep creativity in the heart of your creative business. I'm really passionate about, I, I, you know, I've run arts organizations before in theater companies, and I often see that creative and arts especially companies get scared of their own creativity. We want to be grown-ups at the table and, and, and behave like corporates and behave like the grown-up professionals, there's a bit of a confidence problem there. Uh, and often I have found that while arts and cultural organisations have many great artists that work within them, a lot of the administrators and the marketers and the executives are terrified to keep that or don't know how or shy away from uh, encouraging that creativity to be at the heart of the business. So I'm running a workshop on how to do that as well. Yeah, And if I'm in town, I may even crash it. So that <laughs> we're... <laughs> Where do people find you on the internet? Uh, where do they find me? I have a website. You're like, uh, I hope they don't after this. Amymaiden.com.au <laughs> is my website. Uh, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter. It's just my name, Amy Maiden. I'm an early adopter. I always get the first handle. Um, so Instagram and Twitter, you can find me. You can find me there. Um, it's a whole range of, of content that I put out, some relevant to this conversation, some just pictures of dogs. Well, you know, you, you, you try to stay on brand, but, you know, you don't uh, – I'll take it from me. You don't always succeed, so. <laughs> I'm just being my authentic self, you That's know. That's exactly right. I'm just trying to be me. I, I don't want people to feel like they're not getting the real me, whatever that <laughs> means. <laughs> I know, right? Oh, I'm also on LinkedIn. That's where I do all my work posting. Yes, I, I, I try to be very keep a, a very serious profile on LinkedIn. It's very serious. I- if people looked at my LinkedIn and then looked at my Instagram, they would be like, this lady is <laughs> two very different personalities. That's probably right. <laughs> well, Amy, thank you for doing this. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for inviting me to talk. What did you think of my episode with Amy Maiden? Let me know. Send me an email. It's my name, Dave, at DaveWakeman.com. You can also find my website at DaveWakeman.com where you can keep up with my blog or you can find all of my media uh, appearances you can find the link to the talking tickets newsletter all kinds of stuff there um if you want to connect with me on the social medias i'm there you can find me on twitter i'm at david wakeman or you can hook up with me on linkedin 
As always, if you're a fan of the Business of Fun, I would love it if you would share an episode with a friend, a colleague, or someone you think would benefit from conversations like the one I just had with Amy or other previous ones with people like Richard Howell, Simon Mab, Kat Spencer, um, Lauren Teague, Alicia Jessup. Uh, all kinds of great people have been on the Business of Fun, so go back and share one of the episodes that you think would be valuable with someone. If you're already sharing a podcast with somebody, I would also love it if you'd subscribe. We're on all the major platforms now, so you can find us pretty much anywhere. And if you've gone that far, I'd love it if you'd leave a review. It helps me understand what's working, what's not, and it makes sure that I can continue to deliver valuable conversations to you, like the one with Amy. As always, I want to thank my friends for book, from Booking Protect for being great partners and great friends of the Business Fun Podcast. To find out how you and your organization can partner with Booking Protect to deliver the best customer service in the world, a more customized and personal buying experience, and how you and your organization can create a new stream of revenue, visit them at their website. It's www.bookingprotect.com. Again, that address is www.bookingprotect.com. Also, you should come see me and Booking Protect CEO Simon Mab at the Ticketing Professionals Conference in Sydney, Australia on the 14th and 15th of November. I'm going to be delivering the opening keynote on change. And Simon is going to be talking about customer service. To get your tickets, visit their website at www.ticketingprofessionals.com.au. Again, that's www.ticketingprofessionals.com.au. Also, I would point you to my special workshop in Melbourne on the 18th of November called Fans for Life. It's going to be great. It's going to be the culmination of about two years of research about why people buy, why they don't buy, why they don't go to games and concerts and shows and more. Uh, we're going to talk about the fan marketing funnel. We're going to talk about fan lifetime value. We're going to talk about revenue, strategy, value, a whole lot of stuff. You can get access to this workshop by sending me an email, daviddavewakeman.com, or by going to Eventbrite and searching for Fans for Life, or there is a link in the show notes. Finally, I want to thank you for listening to the Business Fun Podcast. Without you, I couldn't do this. So until I see you again, take it easy. I'll talk to you soon. <laughs>